Go thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hello, people. Welcome to tonight's Bible News Radio episode. We're alive in this night up, okay, people? Here it is, Overcomer, right? Staring at a stop sign, watching people drive by, T-Mac on the radio. It's not me. Got so much on your mind, nothing's really going right, looking for a ray of hope. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is you may be going through. Yep, you're not alone, people. Melanie, Mia... Yeah, you are. That's it. (laughs) Randall's gonna get on screen soon. That way. I still haven't got that down. We are the harps. Yeah, we are. Everybody's been down, hit the bottom, hit the ground. Ooh, you're not alone. Just take a breath, don't forget. Hang on to his promises. He wants you to know. Doesn't he look good in blue? Are you going to sing so people can hear you? Not really. You're like lip-syncing it. Yeah, you are. Down for a moment, feeling like it's hopeless. That's when he reminded you. Oh, yep. Oh, it's just me now. Okay. All right, time to dance, people. Now we are. Not that good. This is how white people dance. Down for a moment, feeling like it's hopeless. That's when he reminds you. Yeah, he is. Hey. Okay. There we go. Um punches Regina. There's some days, trust me. <laughs> You're an overcomer. Yeah, you are. Ah. 
So this uh, video that Mandisa did for this song, it shows all these people that overcame stuff. And by the way, you are one of those people, just so you know. All right. <laughs> Hello, people. I'm going to take this out of my head. And welcome, everybody. Hopefully by name, if I know you. If I don't know you, then I will know you. So Christian Genie is here. Hello. And then I think I think you're over there too. <laughs> Thank you. I think you're all here, people. Uh, I don't know who's watching on YouTube unless you say hi. And if you're on Twitch, hey, we actually had a Twitch. I've been ignoring Twitch. You know, I shouldn't do that. Sorry, Twitch people. But you got to comment on Twitch if I can't. If you're like, if you're there, I can't see you. You know, that's part of the reason I never say anything because I can't see anybody on Twitch. But Twitch people, yes, we came to you because we figured there's lots of darkness over on Twitch. <clears throat> and so we thought we'd come over here just to, you know, to be here. Hello. <laughs> and by the way, if you happen to be listening to the audio archive, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me, then you can't see how I'm trying to sit up very straight and look at, straight into the camera right there looking at you. You know, uh, but if you're listening to the archive on iTunes or Anchor or wherever else we have this show, which is like, I don't know, 20, almost 20 platforms or something, then let me know. <laughs> It'd be helpful if I knew who's listening. It'd be awesome, actually. You know, you can contact me at BibleNewsRadio.com. There's a page there. You can write me a little note and go, hey, I'm listening to you on this, blah, 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 blah. Just so you know. And you can also uh, follow us on Bible News Radio anywhere, pretty much. You can, like, YouTube, obviously, Twitch, Periscope, Twitter, because you're no one if you're not on Twitter. Hello, Denise Velarde. Uh, and let's see, who else? Facebook? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. You ever feel like you live on Facebook? Let's see, where else are we? Well, it doesn't matter. Hey, you can join our text message list by texting the term Bible News to 33222, which, you know, through the show, watch that ticker down there. Yes, we're trying to hypnotize you with all the ads, you know, like real TV does. <laughs> Except we don't have the ability to go pray, like really like fast and get you to like pray secretly. <laughs> Pray, eat, love. No, <laughs> sorry, that was a bad joke. My bad. Anyway, um, so Randall and I just got home from church. Yeah, we did. But first, before I talk about that, I want to remind you, if you didn't watch last night and you didn't see the graphic of Bob the whole time <laughs> as we were talking about his book, Progressive Evil, then please go back and watch it. You know, I was, to be honest with you, I was very kind of disappointed there wasn't more people watching. I was bummed out. I really was. I got up this morning, I was telling Randall, you know what, this sucks. I'm, I'm being honest. I was like, this sucks. You know, I get this great guest and like nobody saw it, you know, <laughs> like Periscope cut our numbers in half and, you know, and I was just so bummed out because it was such a good show. And honestly, just between you and me, I, you know, Bob asked me, he said, I know you're not going to get to read the book, so go ahead and watch the interview I did over on the Jim Baker show. And I did. I watched two shows on the Jim Baker show, and my interview was way better than Jim Baker's was, in my opinion. Just saying. 
<clears throat> I mean, you guys can go watch the one he did with Jim, but I'm just saying, if you watched our interview, we got more into the book, uh, and I just thought it was a way better conversation <laughs> myself, so I was bummed, you know, because Jim Baker was, hey, buy this package, do this, you need this book, you know, blah, 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 and I, and I, and I don't hate Jim Baker, just saying, but I mean, I was kind of like bummed, because we actually talked about the book, quite a bit of it. And, you know, it's funny because I get lead questions and I really didn't even use the lead questions, but Jim Baker did. I'm just saying. Uh, I know which ones, too, because I have them. <laughs> it's like Jim Baker said that. But anyway, um, so go back and watch the interview with, with Bob because it was, um, I thought it was very meaty. And, um, and, you know, he said at the end of the show, if you didn't watch it to the end, he said that he would love to come back and talk to us and love to have a conversation with us if you read the book. So that was his way of saying, hey, I want your audience to read the book and then come back with some questions. And he would have an open, you know, dialogue with us about that. And I think that's kind of cool. You know, I mean, this is a busy guy, a grandpa, you know, and. But, you know, I found out some pretty cool things in that interview. Like he was part of the, he, he authored Don't Ask, Don't Tell for the military. And I'm, Randall and I were talking about that this morning. <clears throat> and uh, go ahead. Yeah, to clarify, I think, well, you know, he authored Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a sort of pro-gay thing. No, it was a, it was a way oh. to, to mitigate because uh, President Clinton that time had declared that the military was open to homosexuals. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, that's that's not a good idea." But how are you going to do that? You know, it's executive order, and so within the Pentagon, so how we're going to deal with this is okay. They're in. Don't ask, don't tell. We're not going to make it a you know a propaganda opportunity for you know to promote homosexuality. Um, okay. So just we're not going to. So you know, so no one's stepping on toes and going to get in trouble with the administration for asking if someone's a homosexual. Um, you know, don't ask, but to make sure it doesn't become uh, an opportunity to promote homosexuality through the military. Don't tell either. Yeah. Well, and that's, that is, um, that point, that point isn't in the book, but bike shop guru over on Twitch just said, can you give us one or two of your favorite points in the book? Uh, yeah, actually, I can. First of all, let me let me show you the inside of it because this is a meaty book. It's not fluff, you know, like Joel Osteen's stuff. No offense, but just saying. Um, so basically, what he does is he gives the roots of American progressive movement, and um, and then he talks about the psychological and biblical considerations for modern progressivism, which I think is cool. But then he goes down and he breaks it up and he talks about each amendment that we have in our government. And I think, you know, how many of you know the amendments? I'm going to, I don't, just saying, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't know them by heart. But chapter 10 is progressivism's impact on family. And it goes through, through chapter 11, the impact on education, religion, government, economy. Um, and then... Uh, in the in the section four, he talks about individualism, an ideal of American exceptionalism, capitalism, an ideal of America 
American exceptionalism, liberty, same thing, equality, patriotism. And then, of course, I think for me, honestly, was this, and this was a big part of our conversation last night, was chapter, well, the conclusion, which is the last word on progressivism, mental illness, banality of evil, and ushering in the Antichrist. And by the way, that is also one of the points that Jim Baker and his wife made as well in their show. But I think the reason that's so important in the book is because we're living in such an age where um, entertainment, Christians are embracing entertainment instead of the word of God. And um, in fact, um, how many of you have ever heard of Dr. Dr. Lloyd, um, Martin Lloyd Jones. Yeah, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. <laughs> Just put a one if you've ever heard of him. Have you ever heard of Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones? Bareface has. Okay. Well, well, if you have, I'm going to give you a second because I know there's like a delay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sean has. Good. By the way, Sean. Hello, Sean. Happy belated anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy, 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 happy anniversary. Okay. We're going to stop there. I guess. I don't know the rest of the words. That was it. I think it's kind of just... Hey, Oddvar is here. Haven't seen you in a while. Just over... So that's it? You guys You guys have never heard of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? Okay, we need to educate you people. Okay, so let me tell you who he is. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was born in 1899, and he died, I think it was around 1981 or something. Um, He was a medical doctor, actually, at first, and he, um, he was probably one of the 20th century's number one biblical expository teachers out there. And anyway, so I bring this up because I was, I was, as I told you recently, usually at night, I tend to listen to a sermons or, or something. And, and recently I started listening to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Well, um, he is a very meaty guy. I mean, he, he takes one word <laughs> and does what I do when I study. I take the strongs, I look at it, I analyze it, I rip it apart, I look at the I look at the surrounding verses, the context of it, and um, anyway, his series on Romans, the book of Romans, is like chewing massive steak. You know, it's like, man, you just eat that, and just, man, this is chewy stuff. It's great. It's great. Anyway, so I was reading, uh, listening to some of his messages. He's a very prolific author as well, but today I decided I was going to listen to an interview that he did um, Gosh, way, way, when, way, way back when TV was black and white, <laughs> which, you know, was a long time ago. Um, and it was interesting because Randall was sitting there watching it with me because I asked him, I said, hey, come here, watch this with me. And and um, and it's on YouTube. I mean, you can you can you can watch it on YouTube. But but one of the things the interviewer was talking to him about was what is it that actually impacts the culture? And I know I'm going to not talk about it, how they kind of talked about it, because it was kind of weird how they brought, they kind of were talking about it. But the gist of it was uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was talking about how um, pastors who preach politics from the pulpit were doing it to their detriment, 
even though they might have big churches and stuff, they really weren't changing the culture the way that they wanted to. And so he was asked by the interviewer, well, how, you know, how do you change the culture? And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones basically said, by teaching your people the word of God and allowing the word of God to change their heart, and then those transformed individuals go out into the culture and then they serve and they minister and they do the things that believers are supposed to do, right? Which is they're the, they're the salt and they're the light. And it was funny because I'm a, I was very, um, I was touched by that because I was like, yes, this is what I've been, this is what I believe. And, and Randall's, he's back up him and his hair. Not yet. There it is. One's preview, one's live. Like that? You like his hair? Like, see that right there? There on the top. Anyway, so yeah, is that what you heard too, or did I say it wrong? No, no, that's 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 spot on. You know, this is so many, so many pastors. I think then as well as now mm-hmm. are hoping to kind of make their mark on society, and will stick to talking about current events and you know politics and stuff like that. And that isn't a pastor's job. A pastor's job, you know, an overseer's job is to feed the sheep. Yep. You know, and the job of the the church, the ecclesia, you know, the congregation is to make disciples. And as you make disciples, yes, then those folks that who are not um, vocational, uh, you know, vocational clergy that go out there and work, you know, work the nine to five or eight to six or whatever it is. And, you know, and are out there in the highways and the byways, they're the ones that are going to affect the culture. And the best thing we can do, uh, in the confines of the congregation is to make disciples, make them students of the word of God and to know him and to make him known. And yeah, and you know, here's the other interesting thing in this in this uh, um, conversation, this interview. By the way, anybody, if you're interested in watching it yourself, I can tweet it out on my Twitter account. Then you can you can watch it. But they also talked about the differences in um, defining fundamentalism versus being a conservative evangelical. And it was funny to me because. I, whenever I listen to a Bible teacher, and the reason I started listening to him was because I was like, okay, I got to find something I can listen to that's going to stop, because I don't want to end up listening to something all night long, because then I can't sleep. Um, And Pastor John MacArthur actually made the comment that that this Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of the 20th century's best expositors of the Bible out there. And so I thought, well, I should just kind of listen to it. And it's kind of old fuddy-duddy, you know, the guy's ancient, old, you know, that type of thing as you listen to him. But what he has to say is, is it's almost too good because it's hard for me to sleep listening to it. <laughs> Overheard, Stacey Lynn Harp, the host of Bible News Radio, listens to sermons to put her to sleep. <laughs> That is what I said, actually. But, hey, it made me actually want to um, to actually listen to it when I'm awake, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm a good influence, I can tell. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Well, to kind of tie things back together, where Bike Shop Guru over on Twitch had asked about right. you know, one or two of your favorite parts of the books, and you were talking about the uh, <sighs> you were talking about the amendments, you know, and the right. Bill of Rights and other constitutional amendments, 
And he had said in your interview with him last night, uh, speaking to the fact that progressives want to make the Constitution a malleable document. Right. You know, interpret it in modern day, you know, make it whatever they want. And it's important. And we, well, you all talked about, I guess I wasn't part of the interview, but I was participating in spirit and pushing buttons and clicking the, buttons. You do but, the you do the easy work. I do the hard work. That's right. So the <laughs> the um it's not as easy as I make it look, people to anyway, saying. The, <laughs> anyway. You know, you talked about uh, education and you know how it began and mm -hmm. you know students learning Latin and history. It was called civics class and learning how government worked, that kind of thing. So to kind of bring those two things back into perspective um, when we look at the Constitution, the amendments, and try to interpret them in just by contemporary circumstances, we're going to end up with something different. Fortunately, we do have we do have minutes, you know, from the Constitutional Convention, and we know what the framers meant when they wrote this and that, and you know, and similarly, the scriptures, you know, if we if we kind of neglect the scriptures and I've seen this too often in modern day churches where a, a preacher will talk about contemporary circumstances and then cherry pick a verse and slap it on there and call it a sermon. Uh, we're going to lose our way. Just right. like if we look at the constitution, just try to interpret it strictly through contemporary uh, circumstances and, and try to bring up an application for it we're going to end up in the wrong place. You know, similarly, if we look at, if we try to uh, just uh, take a scripture and apply it to, you know, look at contemporary circumstances and then inject scripture into it, then we're going to end at the wrong place. You know, we need to start with the scriptures. Right. Well, mm. and this is why I like mm. Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum's teaching. Indeed. Because... And, and you know what? I just have to say that I'm so thankful for my life journey as a Christian because my life journey as a Christian, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Thank God. <laughs> it sounds horrible, but, but I wasn't. And I had to learn to defend my faith very young in the faith, like, like fast. Um, and then as I grew, you know, I learned apologetics. And then as I grew in that, then the Lord brought uh, Marianne. Fruchtenbaum, Arnold's wife, into my life, and she introduced me to the life of the Messiah from a Messianic Jewish perspective. And that study flipped my life. I mean, that, that, like, I was like, oh my gosh, how come nobody ever told me this in their church? I was going to, to the church and youth group, and they were having us play the ungame, and I'm like, what the heck? You know, I want a Bible study. So it really, really, really grounded me in my faith. But then I listened to Janet Parshall also for many years. And she's the one that taught me how to take that and apply it and teach and understand it from from the cultural, basically teaching me cultural apologetics, but always with the Bible as the foundation. So like, for example, in Romans 1, we read about the wrath of God from heaven being revealed to man, right? But what do people look at in Romans 1? Oh, they look at the, the passage part on homosexuality. We talk, we look at that part and go, uh-huh, yep, that's pointing the, to homosexuality and all that. But who actually talks about the wrath of God part? 
right? I mean, think about it. How many of you have heard a sermon lately on the wrath of God? You know, uh, not me. <laughs> I'm sure my pastor will get to it eventually. But what I will say is that there's so much more to what we have in the word of God than what is told to us, whether we're in a church service or we're reading a Bible um, or anything else. We have to really dig deep in the in God's word. It's so rich and there's so much to it, right? Um, and uh, anyway, so, and by the way, Sean is saying that he's, he's he has a number of uh, um, the Lloyd-Jones books. Yeah, Crossway Publishers actually has put out a lot of his stuff too. But by the way, if you're interested, you could just go over to mljtrust.org, which stands for Martin Lloyd-Jones Trust.org. If you just go to mljtrust.org, that's actually his website. Uh, for all of his stuff. And you can see um, there's hundreds, probably thousands of sermons on there um, and all that. Uh, another question from uh, Bike Shop Guru asking, what are cultural apologetics? Okay, so cultural apologetics, how I define that, is basically being able to look at what's happening in the culture, like say, for example, we use, you know, like, you know, we use the hot topics, abortion, homosexuality, Islam, stuff like that. And you look at what's going on in the culture um, and, and, and looking at what the culture is saying about it. And here's a great way you can do that without even having to turn the TV on. In fact, I would recommend it. Go next time you go to a, a bookstore or a grocery store, go into the magazine aisle and look at what's being taught or, or what, what's on the cover of a magazine. Um, and look at what, you know, like, is it President Trump? Like around Easter time and Christmas time, you'll always see inflammatory stories about Christ. Did Jesus rise from the dead for real? Is hell, does hell exist? I mean, Newsweek, U.S. News and Real World Report, Time, all the big news magazines, they will always have a big hot topic on the front of their magazine, right? Because that's, that's, they want you to buy it, right? So then you read what that says, and you look at what the culture is saying about whatever that topic is, and then you open up the Bible, and you look at what the Bible says about the topic. And, that, so, and then you, you compare them. And so if the culture is saying abortion is good, yeah, it is. By the way, it's it's okay in America to murder babies. But does God's word say that? Uh, no. <laughs> in fact, God's word condemns it. Um, you know, Psalm 139 verifies that you should be pro-life. Uh, but, you know, Roe v. Wade says, well, it's the law, so you can go ahead and do it. Well, the apologetic then is being able to understand and defend why you believe what you believe. So that's what this show is kind of, that's kind of what we do. So I kind of hope, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, and, and the same thing with the family. Like, why is the family, why is it male and female, husband and wife and children? Right. Not and male I feel and male, like I've been like hanging that. out there a long time. Yeah. But there's a great example of cultural apologetics. We find that in Matthew chapter 19, mm -hmm. where the Pharisees come to Yeshua, come to Jesus and say, well, is it, you know, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And, you know, the backstory is that because in rabbinic literature, um, was it Akiva, Ra Ravi Akiva and, and Hillel, they had said different things, had different interpretations, one of them were low. And so they're like, hey, this rabbi says this, this rabbi says this, you know, wh wh which one is right? And, and Yeshua, <laughs> being a master of the word, being the living word, 
God in the Flesh basically tells them, well, let's look at it scripturally. You know, in the beginning, you know, God made them male and female, and for this reason a man should leave his father and mother. And he quotes Genesis, and he says, well, you know, God, what God has joined together, let men separate. So there's this sort of cultural argument going on uh, among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, just religious people, that, you know, it was because one rabbi said this, one rabbi said that. I mean, you can put in there one president says this or one leader says this. Well, the Democrats are saying this, Republicans are saying this, or, you know, the independents are saying this. What, well, you know, what's, who's right here? And like, well, who's right is God is right. You know, you're looking at this as if it was some sort of cultural, you know, invention, some, some sort of cultural construct. Let me set it right. This is God's idea. And this is, and this is the, you know, this is the divine perspective of this issue of marriage and divorce. And so I think right there is a, is a great example from our Lord himself and cultural apologetics. Yeah. Hey, Marlene. Thank you. So nice of you to say that. So we have, um, <clears throat> so Sean mentioned the word being defensive. Well, you know, I mean, we get the basis for what we believe from God's word and 1 Peter 3.15 in the New American Standard Version says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That kind of is what we all should be doing, right? I mean, but if you look at this verse, we could do a whole show on just this verse. There's so many points in it. First of all, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Before you can do much of anything as a believer, you got to have that established. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, and these people and, you know, I'm and I watch, sadly, I watch the Christian media world and some of the stories that have been coming out lately, you know, about people who had written Christian books many years ago, and now they're not a Christian anymore because they're bound to the LGBT lobby and they don't really care. They don't want to love their wife anymore. They're leaving. And, you know, and it's just so sad because that person hasn't sanctified Christ as Lord in his heart if he's doing that, you know, and let's just be honest. Being a Christian isn't easy. Uh, I mean, it is if, if you're not really being a Christian, but if you're actually being a real Christian, it's tough. It's tough, man, because you're always being convicted of sin, but at the same time, you know, you're you're remembering, look, I have a mission, and that's part of actually what I want to get to eventually. But but then if you sanctify Christ as, as Lord in your heart, always being ready, always means always. Guess what? It doesn't mean sometimes. It means always. And this is what was kind of cool about tonight at our church. We just had a church, um, the um some some of our church family went to Jamaica on a missions trip and they came back tonight and they shared uh, what happened. And I was sitting there, I was delighted uh, because, you know, they're all, they're all on a high because God did some cool things. And, and even when they thought they were preparing for something, God kind of took them out of their comfort zone and, and all that. And I thought, welcome to my world. <laughs> Every day behind a microphone is out of my comfort zone in, in many ways. You might not believe that, but it actually is true. Um, but the, we have to be ready to make a defense to anybody who asks us, but 
for for what? The hope that we have, because people are going to recognize you have hope when they don't. And yet we do it with gentleness and reverence or respect, depending on what type of uh, Bible that you have. And that's where a lot of these people that irritate me, uh, who go out and do stuff, they're not doing it with gentleness, and they're certainly not doing it with God's reverence under their, their that it's like, what? They, they're doing it in ways that really are uh, an anathema to the Lord, and you're kind of like going, man, this is why, you know, a lot of people don't want to be called Christians, because that guy over there, and yeah, and I'm sure I've had a couple of people look at me and go, well... If all you Christians are like her, well, then I don't want to be one either. To which I would say, that's sad, right? I mean, to 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 impugn your whole eternity on, on one person's way of how they do stuff, that's kind of stupid of you. Just say it. <laughs> if you're that dumb and shallow that you would throw away eternal life because of how one person represents Christ, then, then you deserve what you get. I mean, that just that sounds cold and harsh, but I mean, I'm thinking that's dumb because you're not looking at who Jesus is, which is who all Christians are supposed to be looking at in order to do what we need to do. I know you don't want to spend a long time here, but no, I'm good. We've got lots of we've got. I was got just answering stories. the question. That's yeah, all. no, no, it's cool. I'm I just I'm done answering the question. I just wanted to give. Don't a, ask any more questions, people. All right, I just wanted to give a. No. <laughs> just kidding. Quick, can, quick, quick little word story because it comes back know. to. See, Bareface wants to dig into the Greek. Yeah, okay? real quick, okay. Just because you know we talk about cultural apologetics, and that's I'm sorry Oy for the vey. culture. Anyway, the Jewishness in me is coming out. Wait, wait. Anyway, real quick here. <laughs> um, yeah. When we're told, you know, ready, ready always for a defense. The word here, defense. Whoops, I don't want me to highlight all. I'm just trying to highlight the one word. Yeah. Apologian. Um, <laughs> you might, you might look at the, you know, English word there. Look, well, the the transliteration. Apologian, you know, sounds a lot like apology. That's where we get our word. It's it's like a transliteration of Greek. Uh, you may recognize the logian part, logical, you know, logic, and apa or apo. You've heard of like in a an orbit, apogee, perigee, or you know, it's it's the the out part versus the furthest in part. Basically, a defense here or a reason, apologian means out of reason or out of logic mm-hmm. that the the uh it's this exclamation peter 315 it was kind of sloppy there so it'd be first i didn't even say anything nope anyway so yeah the the defense the reason See what a good whatever yes whatever your english translation says the idea is not well because i said so or because because i don't know because if you if you sanctified like you said sanctify the Lord God in your heart, then you're ready to give a defense something out, something out of reason, uh, a you're to be able to reason with anyone who asks you for an account a logon concerning the hope that you have. Well, I have a reasonable I can you have a reasonable defense, a reasonable explanation. I can logically state my position, you know, based on my faith. It's not a blind faith kind of thing and just, well, because I said so. Or 
it is fine to believe in your heart that God said it, that settles it. You know, God said, I believe it, that settles it. That That's good for you. <laughs> but right. for someone to ask you, you need to be ready to give a logical or something out of reason, out of logic of, you know, why things are the way they are. All right, I'm done. Okay. That's why I love him. You should see him. He's so hot. Yeah, he is, especially with the Bible in his hand. Okay, anyway, so. <laughs> that was probably inappropriate, was it? Actually, what was not appropriate recently was I was at lunch with somebody, and we have a friend that's a psychologist, and he kept repeating a certain phrase over and over again. And it was so funny because he. <laughs> Because he's like, I can't... Do you remember what Raymond was saying? No. <laughs> uh, it's different every but, time. But, but, but... <laughs> something, he said something like... And this isn't what he said, but he said something like, That turkey was delicious. And then he was like, That turkey was delicious. Hi. <laughs> Anyway, the point is, is that that never mind. Anyway, if you're smart, you got the point. If if you're if it's whoo, then you're too young to know. Okay, just so. <laughs> uh, okay. We've got some stories. Does that mean outside logic or without logic? That bike shop guru. Hey, what's your name anyway? Tell us your name. That way we know your name. Besides bike shop guru. Um. So okay. No, it doesn't mean without logic. It means coming from, coming forth, or you know, launched from logic. Launched from logic. Okay. Well, okay. And so Zane over here says, "So let's hear what convinced you of existence of God." So you want to hear what convinced me of God's existence, or do you want to hear Barefaces, who's also known as Randall? Just curious. We're waiting for an answer from Zane. By the way, thank you for coming in, mister. Glad you're out there. Okay. All right. Randall. Okay. Not interested in my opinions. Bareface, get back on the... F okay. Please. <laughs> he said please. Okay, so so well, let's hear what convinced you of the existence of God. That's what they want. They want to know, yeah, Bareface, what is it? How did you get convinced that God existed? Well, it's... It's um, it's a progressive sort of thing, not progressive as in versus conservative. That not progressive, not progressive no. evil. Um, <laughs> yeah, just kidding. But that was too easy. Just walked into that one. <laughs> a um, sequential sort of thing, progressive thing. Um, anyway, giving my background. Uh, didn't grow up in any kind of religious home uh, in my late teens. I searched out religion because I thought there might be something to it. Uh, spent a lot of time in Eastern mysticism. Let's wrap it up that way. Go into a lot, but Eastern mysticism pretty much kind of en encompasses all of it. Uh, did not find anything in there. Um, uh, decided that religion was um, meaningless, <clears throat> materialism was meaningless, uh, decided to check out, wrote a suicide note, at the same time felt a tugging at my heart, uh, sensing that it might be God, I 
offered up a prayer. I said, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Uh, that led me. Well, wasn't that after you saw the John 3.16 sign? Yeah, I'm okay. trying to keep this short. Gotcha. Um, it's okay. Hey, maybe oh, God wants us just to talk about this tonight. We don't oh, have to talk about all the new stuff. Um, ultimately, ended up reading the scripture, uh, which had a profound effect on me. Um, and I decided, well, this is really, especially reading about the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, uh, the Christ, and wanted more of uh, about him and began a, a, a prayer life. Uh, and that he, point, he actually prayed in the closet. Yes, I had I had a relationship with the Lord, but there were still some doubts. Sure, you know, my you know my is this for real? Um, so I want to know this book that I become enamored with is is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? So I did a little research of of my own. Uh, learning a little bit about the original languages, about about how we've got to what we've got, you know, what is this uh, book that's um, you know from between, and it's not I'm not saying between because we don't know the earliest books written about uh, written about 1500 BC to the latest books in the New Testament uh, written uh, about 80 90, so you know between 1500 BC and you know, eighty, ninety, some, some. Uh, Good morning, Vince. You know, about sixteen hundred years of writing in there, and then coming at that time into the nineteen eighties. Yes, I'm that old. You know, so this book that's almost three thousand years old. You know, can it? What? How did it get here? Can I trust it? What's he's, in it? He's fifty-five. In case you're wondering. And so, you know, I began to study and I became convinced that that what we have, what we call the Holy Bible, is just that we have it is miraculous. And yep. we don't have time to talk about um, the autographs, the manuscripts, and, and, and just, and anyway, and translations, and, and so many people try to destroy it, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, just all, the, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, and how God's fingerprints are all over it. Yeah. But for me, kind of like the final, the final sort of, uh, dis- and, you know, besides what we find in nature, even Romans 1 talks about the invisible qualities of God can be understood from what it can, can clearly be seen from what has been made. Even though it's invisible, the invisible qualities of God, uh, they can be clearly seen from what has been made. You can understand something about his character in what you see in creation. And even with that, you know, the Psalms say the heavens declare the majesty of God. Even with that, that's something. You know, there's there's the the written, there's the the um, there's the there's the testimony, there's a witness of of the natural world. But as of late, um, how do I know the Bible is true? How do I know that God exists? One word, single word, Yisrael. That is the people and nation of Israel. Now, I'm not talking about Netanyahu or you know Yitzhak Rabin or whoever. I'm not talking about the political entity in the Knesset or that. I'm talking about the 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 people, Israel, the 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 language and the nation that basically went into hibernation for right. for for nearly two thousand years. 
um, and and was and a nation that was reborn in a day, according to prophecy, yep. a land that laid waste and fallow that many people tried to uh, farm there. It was a it's a land of nomads basically because you know people passing through some fed their flocks there, but it wasn't anything but. Um, you know, prophecies in Ezekiel, especially about people, the people being yeah, called back you? into the land. I mean, we're talking written thousand years before any of these happened. That you know, people would be dispersed throughout the world. They'd be, they'd be returned to land. When they came back, that the land would yield for them. That it would become yeah. a land once again flowing with talking. milk and honey. That the uh, the vine would bear and whatever. And and now we've got to this day. The tiny nation of Israel is the is is the largest exporter of produce to Europe, all of Europe, and you know into into Asia. That uh, out of the the land is is really just okay. Anyway, he has a follow up question. By the way, this is Gideon, our cat. Named him after the Gideon's International. He likes to end the day with us and begin the day yelling at us. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah, and you are. Anyway, so so much, so much of what's in the scripture is, and we're going to get to that actually when we get to the headline thing. Wait. Is is Jesus good for the Jews? So, I have this follow up question. But. Okay. Well, I just would answer the question, the same question. I would say when I when I discovered God, when I discovered Jesus. It was the first time I ever felt loved. I mean, truly, because I had been so abused as a kid. And when I became a Christian, I was like, okay, wow, I'm loved now. Okay, so, um, okay, going back to here. So Zane wants to know, so you are convinced the Bible is the will of God. I, I, have, a, I have a sneaking suspicion. You're, you're, you have a list of questions that you're trying to set us up. But that's okay. Go ahead, Bareface. Answer the question. You can put your full self on the screen if you're going to talk a long time. Uh, well, I, I don't know how long we're going to talk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, uh, I do believe that the scripture is the, the will of God, the mind of God. is. Ariel actually has a great book called The Will of God and the Will of Man. You can get it with our coupon code. Bible News right there. there. See? Or on YouTube, I'm looking at WD. A wonderful thing about Christianity is that there aren't any secrets, special handshakes, etc. Mm -hmm. The truth is openly given to us. Amen. Well said. I don't know who you are, WD, but... Wait, WD. Up. What are you doing? Secret handshake. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that was bad. That was a symbol. It was, yeah. my eye is on you. I'm part of the Illuminati. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Don't write me. Certain people in the audience. I'm just kidding. Don't get mad. It was a joke. And that was something even... <laughs> I know some people get mad at me for that. Gotta have a sense of humor, people. And even, well, a lot of the... Um, All right. A lot of the apostles address that, but I think of Colossians especially. We're not going to do Bible study in Colossians right now. <laughs> but that's one of the things, is that what was going around was this whole sort of... You know, the, this esoteric knowledge, if you really want to be tight with God, then you got to know these cer certain things, and there's this esoteric knowledge, and, and the inner crowd is like, Paul's like, no, 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 the the gospel is, is for everyone, and it's plain, there's nothing hidden, there's nothing, no, no secret handshakes or secret knowledge about it. Certainly, you can learn more and more as you grow. Although, they did write, they did, they did this in the sand, they did go, 
They did go away. They did go like this. Yeah. And then if another believer was walking around, they saw that, then they would go like this. And that is why we have the ictus, the sign of the fish. That's how they that's how they identified each other as believers. Well you ever wonder why that ictus, is? the Greek word for fish, yep. also serves as an acronym. Yeah, I know. In Greek. Anyway. That's because you're that's why when Berean Christian bookstores were out, they would always sell those fish with the Greek inside of it. Yeah. As a Greek fish. Jesus Christos. Yep. Um, yeah. Theos, Furios, uh, Soteros. Are we going to get to the yeah. story? Okay, anybody else have any questions? Okay. All right, so the question about being Jewish, or was, is Jesus God? Is, is was, Jesus good for the Jews? Is, <laughs> is Jesus good for Jews? Well, in case you're new to the show, I am part Jewish, and so is he. <laughs> this, this much. Hey, Both of us. I'm claiming my blood, just I, saying. I'm part of the chosen people. Yeah, I am. Yes. Okay. You, but the Wall Street DNA, Journal DNA studies. So the so DNA the DNA results <laughs> indicate that we both have Jewish ancestry. Okay. So the question then, the article is, go ahead, read it. Opinion is Jesus good for the Jews is the title of this Wall Street Journal article. Yeah, I'm gonna. Are you gonna read it or am I gonna read it? Because um, if I read it, I'm gonna be like squinting and like going, "What? I can't see that." And since I've taken the your insight off i'm gonna yeah wall street journal um okay nice little photo here like that uh who's who's the writer ari lamb ari lamb writes was was jesus a jew the idea shouldn't be controversial wait 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 wait. so anna ziller anon ziller she says shalom goyim it's me mr goldblatt remember to donate your shekels to israel (laughs) <laughs> there you go that's that was funny yeah. okay Goyim, anyway gentiles anyway, right. was jesus a jew the idea shouldn't be controversial yet there have been plenty of attempts to challenge his connecting to <laughs> connection to judaism discuss dissociating rather dissociating jesus from his jewishness has a dark history that continues to poison discourse today and i agree in the 20th century, the anti-Semitic and racist German-British philosopher Houston Stewart Chamberlain, that's not the Chamberlain you're thinking of, and this is <laughs> and at the same time World War II, anyway, right. argued that while Judaism provided the religious background for Jesus, he, quote, had not a drop of genuinely Jewish blood in his veins, unquote. Uh, the Nazis picked up on this thread. As Hitler consolidated power, German theologians insisted that Jesus was not a Jew but an Aryan descended from Galilean Gentiles. Uh, sounds like something you'd see on the cover of Newsweek or something today. Oh, the, the, the edge is getting cut off. Let me move it over. In the context of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Palestinian, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas has sought to sever Jesus' religion from his nationality or ethnicity. In a 2014 Christmas message, Mr. Abbas called Jesus, quote, a Palestinian messenger of love, justice, and peace, unquote. This remains a common refrain from anti-Israel activists. Sometimes this rhetoric is aimed at erasing Judaism from the religious and and moral history of Western civilization. Other times it's an attempt to undercut Jewish appeals 
to a uniquely ancient relationship with the land of Israel. Either way, these objections place Jews in a complicated position. Construing Judaism as only a religion while minimizing its national and ethnic elements is a centuries-old staple of anti-Jewishness. Some early Christian writers like Eusebius, the 4th century church historian and bishop, introduced a similar distinction to undermine Jewish links with biblical figures like Abraham and Yitzhak. According to Eusebius, Jews, according to the religion of Moses, uh, but their ancestors like Abraham were ethnic, quote, Hebrews, unquote, who hewed to a different faith. Um, this is kind of a large, long article. See? Welcome um, to my world when I try to read stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> even though I've got about just like four more paragraphs to go. Yep. Five, six. Let's just, I, I read it earlier, so mm -hmm. can I just sum it up? Yes, you can. With God, all things are possible, even for the Greek and the Jew. Yep. Yep. That would include you. Mm-hmm. Get it? Yeah. Did you get it? I mean, I come it. on. I just made a bad joke, but whatever. Yeah. It's my job. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, well, let me just lead, read his last paragraph. Go ahead. It says, but Jews historically have insisted on standing firm against attempts to weaponize Jesus' status with Christianity. When the need arises, Jewish thinkers have not been bashful in accentuating Jesus' Jewishness, whether in religious, ethnic, or national terms. As Jews increasingly come under attack in Europe and elsewhere, they should once more be prepared, if necessary, to assert Jesus the Jew, even as they have no wish to claim Jesus the Christian. Um, Basically, the author, uh, Avi Lam, talks about how historically, whether it be the uh, Spanish Inquisition or the pogroms of the, the late 19th century, early 20th century, and on, so uh, the persecution of Jews, uh, Jewish defenders were, um, came forth and tried to appease their attackers by identifying the Jewishness of Jesus. And so he's appealing once again as as anti-Semitism increases, that as he says, as Jews increasingly come under attack in Europe and elsewhere, they should once more be prepared, if necessary, to assert Jesus the Jew, even as they have no wish to claim Jesus the Christian. And I I think that's a a tragedy on both sides of Jewish and Gentile lines. There are, you know, there's the whole replacement theology that goes on within Christendom. And people, so many, it's like, well, the Old Testament, that's just, you know, whatever that's there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's good for history, but, you know, the New Testament is really what's important. And then, and, on, the, and then the Jewish side, we, you know, there's you got this, the Hebrews roots movement. Right. Anyway. But... Uh, uh, but so, you know, both so very important. You know, when, when we talked about Peter, when he's writing there, he's, he's not referring, when Peter refers to the scripture, he's not talking about the New Testament because it didn't exist yet. Yes, he was contributing to it, but it wasn't a thing yet. When he talks about the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. When Paul talks about the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And when... When Yeshua, when Jesus walked with the disciple on the road to Emmaus, uh, road to Emmaus, and and you know explained to them 
beginning with Moses and the prophets, you know, all the things concerning himself. What? You're, it looks like you're looking down. Look up at the camera. Okay. There you go. Now we can see your beautiful blue eyes. I'm just trying to monitor the monitors. Oh, I know. Um, I know. Anyway, we expounded them, you know, beginning of Moses and prophets, all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. It was the Old Testament and, and, and everything, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, everything he came back to Satan himself you know the the you know the the challenges the temptations and and messiah's response was always from scripture was always the old testament anyway okay the 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 jewishness of jesus is extremely important and without that context you know without the life of messiah from a messianic jewish perspective we we lose a whole lot yeah. on, on both sides all right, we got about a half hour left, and we got a really cool. Oh my goodness! We got a story that we got to share. But scenes we were talking about Ariel Ministries. Don't don't forget, that's our sponsor. Thank God, and I do every day. <laughs> uh, you can save twenty percent when you use the coupon code Bible News over at Ariel.org. And I would just say that uh, that that is an awesome place to go to get some great stuff. Just saying, it changed my life. Um, okay, and then also. Let's see. What else? Okay. If you want to become a pillar of the community, you know, people that uphold us. I'm not like Jim Baker or these other people that can put together a book package that you can give me 50 bucks for because I can't afford to buy the books to do that. (laughs) So if you just want to be a pillar and just donate because you love us and you like what we do, that'd be awesome. You can go over to BibleNewsRadio.com in case you're wondering why you know, uh, you know that <laughs> we don't offer stuff like that. That's why, because that stuff costs money. Um, anyway, you could do that, and then what else? What was the other thing I was going to say? Legal Shield. Are you protected? Do you own your own gavel, people? Um, anyway, if <laughs> Legal Shield, it's a great service. I talk about it all the time. If you're not covered yet, if you don't have your will done, um, get in touch with me. I can tell you more. And also with identity theft protection, which you need, believe me. If you're somebody who does not have identity theft protection, honestly, there is zero excuse for not having it. It is so affordable and it will protect you, hands down, guarantee it. So get in touch with me. You know, you can look at my website, go to bit.ly forward slash capital L, capital O, capital J, 2019, right? Said it. Just watch the ticker, okay? And then you can get in touch with me or just get in touch with me, okay? Let me get you signed up. In fact, here's the thing. Earlier this year, at the beginning of the year, I said I wanted to sign up 100 people for ID Shield. I am about halfway there, you guys, which is kind of amazing. I, I'm totally surprised by that. Um, but we still got half the year left so I can meet my goal of <laughs> signing up at least a hundred people. So if you haven't done that yet, get in touch with me. It starts at $9.95 a month and you get a whole bunch of awesome stuff, but I don't want to get into all that right now, but just get in touch with us if you're interested. Um, the dog named Chase. How many where you want to go? Yes. Cause this is important. And there's a reason I want to talk about the dog. How many of you love dogs? That would be me. I have two of my own. I had two that died. Um, I had 
a dog growing up kind of little dog named Mealtime. who's was so cute. He wasn't my dog, but he always showed up at Mealtime. So that's why we named him Mealtime. Um, but I love animals. And one of the people that I interviewed many years ago is a guy by the name of Dr. Khan Shlobachikov. And his, his real name was Constantine. And he, he talked a lot um, about how prairie dogs um, can, um, they are, they are getting to the place technologically where with the prairie dogs, they can actually translate what those prairie dogs are saying into English so that you can understand literally what they're actually saying. And when he was on my show many years ago, and some of you remember this because you've been listening to us this long, um, that he was actually saying that there will come a point in the technology where you will be able to get your dog's bark actually translated into whatever it is that they're trying, that they're actually telling you. Uh, so dogs are amazing. Dogs are way better than cats. <laughs> Even though, shh, don't tell Gideon I said that. No, cats are okay. But dogs, there is a reason why dogs are man's best friend. Just saying. And girl's best friend. Um, I have never had an animal besides a dog, like my dog Grover, who has made me feel more loved and who I communicate with. I mean, my dog can look at me and he knows, you know, sometimes he'll blink at me, you know, and other times he'll, he'll kind of like roll his eyes, like really stay. So <laughs> you really think I'm going to do that? Are you serious? You know, and I'm like, get over here. <laughs> and I think he waits for me to do that too. Cause it's Randall can tell you me and Grover have a very <laughs> interesting relationship, but dogs are awesome. And they really love us and they're very smart. And I don't think that uh, we give them credit, you know, for, you know, what awesome creations they really are. And I know a lot of you in our audience have dogs and you get it, you know. And so I don't know how many of you know about this dog named Chase. Chaser. 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 Now, this is a female dog. You can you can see that when randall scrolls up so that's chaser and chaser just died uh she was 15 years old she died of natural causes and but this is the dog that was trained to recognize and fetch over 1000 different toys okay and this article came came up on my screen today because um, Dr. Khan Shlobotikov actually posted it. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's Dr. Khan posting something. So I thought I would, I would click through. And so I read the article and I want to read it to you because um, it's kind of cool. And I also, the video, Randall, I'd love to, for everybody to watch the video. Yeah, this is like can. four minute video almost of the owner who is a psychologist, by the way, um, uh, talking about his relationship with the dog. So it says here, Border Collie trained, recognized 1,022 nouns, dies. Uh, Chaser, often described as the world's smartest dog, made headlines worldwide for being able to identify objects by their names. Many owners struggle to teach their dogs to sit, fetch, or even bark on command, but John W. Pilly, a professor emeritus of Emeritus. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. I know I said it wrong, so I'm glad you corrected me. I'm so used to it. Between you and Vicky, man, I'm going to be perfect. Anyway, so <laughs> Professor Emeritus. How do you say that? 
Emeritus. Emeritus of psychology at Wofford College taught his border collie to understand more than 1,000 nouns, a feat that earned them both worldwide recognition. For some time, Dr. Pilly had been conducting his own experiment teaching dogs the names of objects and was inspired by border collie farmers to rethink his methods. Dr. Pilly was given a black and white border collie as the gift by his wife, Sally. For three years, Dr. Pilly trained the dog named Chaser four to five hours a day. So he had a lot of time on his hands to do that. He showed her an object's said its name up to 40 times, then hit it and asked her to find it. He used 800 cloth animal toys, 116 balls, 26 frisbees, and an assortment of plastic items to ultimately teach Chaser 1,022 nouns. In 2013, Dr. Pilly published his findings that explained that Chaser was taught to understand sentences containing a prepositional object, verb, and direct object. Chaser died on Tuesday at 15. She had been living with Dr. Pilly's wife and their daughter Robin in Spartanburg. Dr. Pilly died last year at 89. Another daughter, uh, Pilly said on Saturday that Chaser had been in declining health in recent weeks. The vet really determined that she died of natural causes. She went down very quickly. Um, Ms. Bianchi... Or however you say that. Bianchi, I would think. Who, it looks Italian to me. Yeah, who helped her father train Chaser, said the dog had been undergoing acupuncture for arthritis, but had no other known illnesses. Anyway, and the dog was buried in the family's backyard with the other dogs and her father's ashes. Now, um, it says here, what we would really like people to understand about Chaser is that she is not unique. It's the way she was taught that is unique. We believe that my father tapped into something that was very simple. He taught Chaser a concept which he believed worked infinitely greater than learning a hundred behaviors. She said that her dad's experiment was uncharted territory in animal cognition research, pointing to news media coverage calling Chaser the world's smartest dog. Her language learning is very high-level, powerful science. Chaser understood that words have independent meaning and understood common nouns as well as proper nouns. If Chaser had 30 balls, um, she would be able to understand each one by its proper noun name and also part of a group of objects. She learned the theory of one to many and many to one, which is learning one object could have many names and many names can apply to one object or one person. Greg Nelson, a veterinarian at Central Veterinary Associates of Valley Stream, New York, said humans were learning that animals have a deeper understanding of the world around them. People have always been under the belief that animals respond to commands based on rewards system. Um, He said, learned limited commands and tricks, then get a treat. But they do have a language among themselves, spoken and unspoken, and it's apparent that they can understand the human language probably in much the same way as we learn a foreign language. Um, anyway, it's, 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 it's continues to go on. But the video, so so this is kind of cool because in the video, you, you're going to see the, the man that trained her and the dog. And what's really cool is that um, if you have a dog, you could do this, right? I mean, Grover, my dog, and Tug is, is Bareface's dog. They are motivated by two different things. Uh, Grover is motivated by love and affection, praise and playing, and Tuggy Bear is motivated by food, (laughs) and only food, and that's about it. (laughs) 
so it's kind of interesting. Okay, go ahead and play the video. Cause it's Hopefully kinda... we can hear the, for some reason, the uh, the application is not showing up on my mixer, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, and then, and then by the way, Denise said she loves all dogs and animals, and then, um, and then uh, there's a couple other um, things too, but yeah, and by the way, Denise, you, you shared, Denise, I think it was Denise that shared a, um, a place that euthanizes dogs or no, they don't euthanize them. We're, you know, mean, stupid, idiotic people who give up their dogs because they're old. Those people should be shy in my opinion. There goes my Christian love for you. Pow! Shoot people who give up old dogs. I mean, what the heck? Anyway, Denise, hospice for dogs. I know. Yeah. There's a hospice for dogs. And I was like, oh, I read that. I was like, I was crying and everything like, oh my gosh, that was, yeah, that's exactly what I want. Put me in hospice, just like those dogs you know, spend money on them, let them eat ice cream. They're going to die anyway. But don't ever give up a dog because it's old. You butthead. <laughs> Do that. To me, you know, if you get a dog and that dog is blessed to live a long, 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 long life, then you better be with that dog when that dog goes to heaven. You know, I'm just saying, you know, dogs, when they get super old, need us more. And God gave that dog to you to love until the end. Not until you're comfortable. Blah 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 blah. That's just for free. Okay, here's the, here's the the video. My grandmother used to say that if you bring a dog in your home, someday you're going to be very sad. They don't live forever. Yasha was a member of the family, and when he died, it it threw me more than I realized. And I said to myself, well, I'm not never have another dog. Time passed, and fortunately, my wife Sally was smarter. She knew me and knows me better than I know myself. So Sally told me one day, just before Christmas, you're going to have a new dog. And that made me happy. Good girl. This is where it all started. We had chased her for several weeks before we even gave her her name. Anything that moves, she wants to chase. We could not have named her better. The daily routine is primarily play. Play is the major, major reinforcer for chasers learning. Too often, dog owners use food only as a reinforcer for behaviors. We have found that play is infinitely greater than food. It's not as distracting, and dogs don't satiate on play. Play has to depend upon the dog's basic innate endowment as far as instincts are concerned. Her primary instinct is to herd. These instincts are so endowed within different species that the expression of these yield tremendous joy to the dog and really, really powerfully reinforce the behaviors that they follow. I have been tremendously surprised by Chaser's intelligence. She knows the names of over a thousand objects. Chase knows powder puff. Good girl. Chase knows frisbee. Knows frisbee. Good girl. Chase. Take peanuts. Good girl, good girl. Okay, out. To powder puff, take frisbee. Do it, girl, do it, do it. Do it, girl, good. 
Good girl. It's anomalies that causes scientists to change their metaphor or to change their paradigm. Especially now in the light of what Tracer has learned. Learning the names of over a thousand objects, learning by means of exclusion. These kind of findings definitely show that lower animals, especially dogs, are not machines with blood. They have emotions, they have mental processes. This book is different because it actually confirms what dog lovers have always known. Dogs are smarter than we think. Thinking about my big moose that died. Uh, anyway, how many of you want to go hug your dog now and teach it a trick? <laughs> it's like I do. Uh, yeah, what would you think, Randall, of that? Good stuff. You know what? I'm, uh, I guess people could look up on their own. But I, I hope. Was... I hope. I just thought of this. I hope that this isn't going to kill our episode. I hope that YouTube doesn't like go back. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we probably uh, don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to tell you folks if you're there on youtube um go look up chaser the dog shows off her smarts yeah to neil degrasse tyson uh it was a it was an episode of nova and yeah when you see not only did she know the names of a thousand objects she uh also demonstrated deductive reasoning yeah when there's a toy she wasn't familiar with didn't we watch that? Yes. That was. This is where literally, she literally gets like all these toys. They're all behind a couch, right? Right. And then she goes and she gets through the pile, and then she'll bring back the one that they asked for. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And then they introduce a new one she'd never seen before. Yeah. Told she her did to it. get it, and so she must have used deductive reasoning. This is the one that I don't know. So Dogs are super is, smart. Yeah, and as you saw there, he said. Take frisbee to powder puff. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference between knows an object and take an object, take an object to, as as the daughter had said, uh, you know, uh, you know, prepositional objects and direct objects. And, yep. Um, yep. So so Mia said she wants she she raised her hand. <laughs> she has a couple dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Put a one if you own, if you if you have a dog, or two. It's hard to keep, you know, it's hard to have just one dog. You have to have two if you can, uh, I think. Yeah, in uh, some ways it's easier to manage a dog if there's two. <laughs> you manage dogs in well, other ways. it depends on the breed. Yeah. It depends on the breed. I mean, Bichons, like mm. what we have, Grover and Tug, are, are purebred Bichons. And those dogs are like Velcro dogs that you cannot have one Bichon unless you're literally going to be with that dog all the time you just can't because they they were they're miserable so but our mutts the german shepherd mixes luke and liberty i mean with two puppies that was a handful but in in some you know in some respects it was kind of easier to train the two than the one they i don't know easy. they only ripped up our backyard <laughs> Oh, yeah. Every living thing in the backyard was raised to the ground. Yeah, two dogs um, entertained themselves. Um, 
Where are our dogs anyway? Um, I, I don't know. Tug got up and walked away about five minutes ago. Hey, Grover. Come here, mister. He'll probably sound, I'm missing my dog already. <laughs> I wonder if they're... Oh, there he is. He's coming. Hopefully they're not getting in trouble. Are you getting in trouble? Come here, mister. Here comes Tug. Come here, Bubba. We gave him baths. Well, we. As in me. I gave him baths today. <laughs> and Tug was kind of a butt today. He actually, you know, <laughs> he wouldn't come to me when I told him to come. And Mommy wasn't happy. Just saying. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. So there was a couple other stories, too. We were going to read. Yeah, there are. Oh, yeah. Okay. So just this other one. Um, we've got the we've got the Greg Laurie story. We've got the, yeah, the, the old letter. And we've yeah, got how about the, the old letter? This is kind of cool. For those of you who wonder if there's outside evidence of the existence of the Bible or Jesus or anything, a good book to get is called The Historical Jesus by Gary Hoppermoss. Um, and also, if you look at Josephus, the Jewish historian, there's a lot of stuff there, too. And there's books from Eusebius and and also um, um, other people. But Dr. Habermas catalogs all those. Yeah. Yes, he does. Well, here is the interesting story. Bible shock. Oldest known Christian letter dating back to 230 A.D. has been discovered, people. But... Come here, baby. Come on, come here. Get over here. Thank you. Wait, okay. Look at my baby. Isn't he cute? Oh, yeah, he is. No. But you notice how I had to yell at him to get over here? So. <laughs> One of my pet That's peeves is... This is a pet, and he's no. a peeve. No, no. no I'm just kidding. <laughs> One of my pet peeves is like this article. They say 230 AD. Wow. Which would be AD 230. Yeah. Are you going to read the article? I, I can. Or I can. Or Mr. Can. Do you want to read Mr.? Anyway, I think because they're used to putting B.C. Okay. after you, which makes sense. If it was, you know, 1500 B.C., 1500 years before yeah. Christ, but A.D. Anno Domini, that's to precede the year and the year of our Lord, whatever. Okay. Not after. Okay. But so, anyway. all right, mister. You can lay here. All right. So, back to the article. Okay, I'm going to shut that over there. Okay. All right, so it says it says here, a 1,700-year-old letter has been discovered, and it is believed to be the oldest mention of Christianity outside of the Bible. Um, and my computer screen, really? Did it just do that? It just, okay, computer, stop it. Okay. It says here, the newly discovered letter sheds uh, light on how early Christians lived on a day-to-day -day basis and is 50 years older than any other Christian documentary. It is written by a man named Arianus and dates back to around 230 AD. The letter is directed at the writer's brother who is called Paulus and experts at the University of Basel in Switzerland believe Paulus was likely named after the Apostle Paul. The letter was discovered in e Egypt where many early Christians lived away from the Roman rule. 
Sabine Hubner, professor of ancient history at the University of Basel, said the earliest Christians in the Roman Empire are usually portrayed as eccentrics who withdrew from the world and were threatened by persecution. This is countered by the contents of the Basel papyrus letter. The use of this abbreviation known as a nomen sacrum in this context leaves no doubt about the Christian beliefs of the letter writer. It is an exclusively Christian formula that we are familiar with from the New Testament manuscripts. We get to see what it said. I'm going to read it in a second here. Professor Hobner added that Paulus was an extremely rare name at the time, which indicated that parents mentioned in the letter were Christians and named their son after the apostle as early as 200 AD. The letter in full reads, Greetings, my Lord, my, in my incomparable brother Paulus, I, Arrhenius, salute you, praying that all is well as possible in your life. Since Menebios, just guessing, I don't know there, Menebius. was going to you, I thought it necessary to salute you as well as our Lord Father. Now I remind you about the gym... 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 Gymnasiarchy? Yeah, okay. So that we are not troubled here for... How do you say that guy's name? Heraclides? Uh, I would say Heraclides. <laughs> okay, would be unable to take care of it. He has been named to the Heraclides. city council. Mm -hmm. He's been named to the city council. Find thus an opportunity that you buy the two auroras. Obviously, but, the edge of the page missing, missing yeah. there. But send me the fish liver sauce, too. I thought about that. I thought, really? Really? We discover stuff that mentions fish liver? Ugh. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> Whichever you think is good. Our Lady Mother as well, and salutes you as well as your wives and sweetest children. And our brothers and all our people salute our brothers. And there's the name... And another name. And All our people slightly. salute you. I pray that you fell well, that you fare well in the Lord. So that's kind of cool. That yeah, is. I feel like I just read somebody's diary. You know, and there's some like novelists, Christian novelists, who will go ahead and they'll they'll write a whole book about that. You know. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Okay. All right, and then there's one other story I want to get to. It's the Grammy-winning singer Tori Kelly. <clears throat> Some of you may have seen this over on the Blaze website, theblaze.com. I'm waiting for it to load, but this is what it says. Grammy-winning singer Tori Kelly heaps praise on the Bible, says reading it daily is crucial. We have to be intentional about just sitting down with God. Grammy-winning singer Tori Kelly, who has achieved widespread success in the secular and faith-based music worlds, believes prayer and the Bible are essential, calling regular scripture reading crucial to her walk with God. Uh, Kelly, who is 26, shared her spiritual journey and Christian beliefs in a recent interview with YouVersion, explaining her upbringing and the details of her journey toward making her faith on her own. Making faith her own. Anyway, we don't need to read the whole thing, but I did think that was kind of cool. And I do think it's even cooler that we're seeing a lot more stories like this where devout believers are not ashamed of the Bible and they're actually talking about how important it is to read the Bible every day. 
So if you're one of the people in the world that doesn't read the Bible every day, you might want to consider it. It's a good practice to get into. Uh, right, Bareface? Yes, indeed. And, you know, in the sort of in the back of my head, in my imagination, I hear people saying, well, Bible, Quran, you know, <laughs> uh, Bhagavad Gita, you know, it's whatever, it's just another religious book. No, again, that's where the history comes into play. Uh, the Quran is a relatively new book compared to the Bible, which makes reference to the Bible. It was put out there as uh, not a companion to, but a... a um, Attack on. Yeah, exactly. And You know, we have a comment over on YouTube from somebody who says, Ice is my name. It says, pray Jesus dab on gays. I'm not sure what that means. Dab. I, I don't know either. I don't either. I don't know what pray Jesus means either. Pray in his name. <laughs> I don't know. My computer just froze up though. Oh, there it is. Wait. Oh, how'd that happen? Uh, perhaps computer, you want to. My computer's been like messing up a lot. Maybe you, I know that, um. Maybe you're on a mobile device and you've, you know, it's hard to type many words. But if you could be elaborate a little more, perhaps yes. to get your thoughts across, that would be helpful. Okay. So, anybody else have any closing thoughts, comments, concerns? I do uh, want it to announce that um, I am putting together a, um, I'm calling it a personal development call. Yes, That's, she is. Yeah, I am. And, I mentioned this to my text message list earlier, like a couple days ago. Um, but the reason I'm putting this call together is for is couple fold reasons. I, I'm very inspired by my morning stretch call with my Legal Shield team because here, here is you know because it's two and a half hours a week that I spend on a phone with a group of other people. Uh, who are encouraging me, me and my business, right? And I thought, how much, how much more important is it to do that to encourage people in their faith and in their personal development? And I know from being a therapist, and I also know from just being 50, that people don't grow unless you're very intentional about it. That's one thing. People will not change unless you're intentional about it, and you have accountability, right? I mean, look, you know, I will, you know, let's just be honest. We all have areas we need to grow in, right? You know, I've never been a slim, dim, like, twig, <laughs> but I've always exercised, right? I've always, you know, been athletic, if you will. I haven't been able to play pickleball for almost a month already, driving me nuts. So what am I doing? I'm weightlifting. I'm doing other exercise that isn't going to hurt my foot at the moment. Um, and I have a, I have friends that I do that with on purpose. You know, I pick sports that I knew would keep me accountable to doing it because of the relationships that I have there, which by the way, my book Pickleball Faith is in the editing phase at this point. I have been working on it, but as you guys know, I take care of my dad and, you know, life and it's, you know, I can only do so much as one person. Okay. But that is kind of one of the themes in the book too, is that, you know, the relationship is the cure. The relationship 
that you have with anybody in your life. Um, <laughs> that was subtle bare face. <laughs> I thought that you, never mind. Anyway, the relationship, you need relationships to grow, right? You need to be in a, in a fellowship of believers to grow and not just online. You need people in real life. Like, you know, cause if the internet, if the internet dies, then unless you have my phone number, you're not going to be getting touching me with, with me. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm inviting you all to be a part of this call with me. It, it will be a, a Monday through Friday call. Um, I believe at 7 p.m. Uh, is when I'm going to make the time, uh, depending on, well, I think it's going to be 7 p.m. Central Time. Um, and I'm going to be starting it this week, tomorrow, in fact. Um, so if you're interested in being on that call, let me know. I will, I will probably just post the phone number. It's going to be a free conference call number. The call is not going to go any longer than 30 minutes and it will be on time. It will end on time. And if people don't show up for it within 10 minutes of me being on, I will end the call <laughs> just so you know, cause I, I'm doing this cause I know that there's people out there who want it. And I also believe that it will change your life because I've been on a call, like I said, for about six months now, every single morning with a group of people completely changed my life, truly. And so I see the power of it. So um, if that's something you're interested in and you're already in touch with me, which all of you are, most of you get in touch with me and say, yes, I want to be on this. And I do have a handful of you who are interested already. You're already on my list and I will send you that number directly. Um, but the time may change and vary depending on my schedule. Um, but I guarantee you, if you participate, it will change your life if you do it. So with that said, um, I think that that will be a wrap. I think so. I think it will. Okay. So I hope you all have a good week and I will be talking to some of you on the call. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Um, and you know what? Thank you for tuning into the show. Do me a favor, share it out. You go back to some of the other episodes, tweet those out too. And message me during the week and let me know what it is you'd like us to talk about. If you have any topics or anything of, of interest that you really want Randall and I to address, then get in touch with us and let us know, okay? I mean, we're doing this three days a week. We've actually, technically, we're doing it, well, let's see, three hours, four and a half hours. We've really only knocked off a half hour. And if you're going to be on my personal development call with me, you'll actually get more of me anyway because we got that half hour in there. But, um, uh, yeah, just let us know. Okay. So everybody, we love you and the Lord, and I hope that you have a great, uh, I hope you have a great week. Okay. So remember, be bold people, stand up and go with God because he loves you. <laughs>